You're listening to Deep Dives with Sharks, a shark podcast focused on shark species, shark safety both for you and the sharks, and news from the past couple weeks. Sit back, relax, it's time to take a dive. Hello and welcome back to Deep Dives with Sharks. I am still the host here, Alex. They haven't gotten rid of me yet, and by they, I mean myself. But I do have some good news to talk about this week. I got an email this morning that let me know that my podcast was within the top 100 nature podcasts in the U.S. on Apple Podcasts. So I thought that was incredibly awesome. I'm currently sitting at number 98, and I could not have done that without you guys here all listening, sending information, or sending your requests, anything like that. So I do very much appreciate all that so much. And I can't wait to see where else this continues to go. And once again, thank you guys for even being here in the first place. But I did also uh, want to say that my girlfriend did send me a uh, article this morning. And she was telling me that she saw this, uh, came across, I'm not exactly sure how, but it was talking about shark fishing. And I know back, I think it was in the Hammerhead episode, I was talking about shark fishing and how it affects people. But I didn't really talk too much about how it affects the shark So she actually found a whole article that they did over in Dublin uh, at Trinity College talking about the effects that shark fishing has on the shark that is actually caught. So I thought that was incredibly cool. I didn't get to read too, too much of it, but at this point, it does talk about a temperature change in the shark, which is kind of absolutely wild. So I'm going to read more into that, hopefully be able to bring more of that forward and probably use that in another week's uh, episode. But I do think that's incredibly cool. You guys are more than welcome to send me things like that that you want me to talk about. I am very excited to hear that. And also, I did receive two requests uh, from Instagram this week. Now, I wasn't able to do both of them because they're two very different species. But I will be doing the one that I don't do this week. The other one will be done next week. So the first one I got was from my good friend, Will. I've actually known him for a good while. I met him in college. Uh, And he actually was my roommate for a few years as well. So shout out to Will for putting up with me for as long as he has. But uh, with this, uh, he did mention that in the last episode with whale sharks, I talked a whole lot about the tail of the whale shark and how to interact with the tail and be safe and get out of its way. And I guess it triggered in his mind, well, what other shark has a really long tail? And that, of course, will be the thresher shark. But before we get into the thresher shark, once again, follow me on Instagram at deepdiveswithsharks. That's the best way you guys can send me any recommendations, any requests, any really bad jokes. I'm still waiting on a good bad joke I can tell on air, so please send me some any... I actually know one, but I'm waiting for someone to send it to me. Then I'll share mine. But (laughs) send me some bad jokes to tell on on the podcast, too. We'll do a little joke corner to work out. But not to delay too much further, going into the Thresher Shark for this week. Now, one thing to quickly point out is that there are a couple different species of threshers, and these are also all going to be known for their very long tails. Now, there are a few different things about them, which, of course, is why they're all going to be different species rather than all being the exact same. But with this, the thresher sharks are, of course, the tropical fish. They're going to be found mostly around the equator, but also they will be found around the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn. So they'll be somewhere in that range. Now, They're also going to be found in the ocean, usually around up to 500 meters or 1,600 feet, just depending on the species as well. They are the three species that are going to be the common thresher. They grow to be about 20 feet, which would be 6 meters. The big eye thresher, 10 to 13 feet or 3 to 4 meters. And the pelagic thresher, 
10 feet or around 3 meters. So I did break this up so that way we'll talk about each species individually. So we can go that way around there. Now, on this, the common thresher, thresher is the first one we're going to be talking about. They are also known as the Atlantic Thresher, mostly because they were found in the Atlantic Ocean, and that's where most of them do reside, but they're found all over the world as well. So they are going to be found around the southern coast of North America, but that does include up past the United States and into parts of Canada, so kind of mid to southern North America, uh, but on there, very wide range. They also are going to go around coasts of South America, excluding the very lower tip, southern Europe, Southeast Asia, Eastern Australia, for some reason they weren't on the west coast at all, and then also around the coast of Africa, once again excluding the most northern and most southern tip. So they usually like to stay around like the mid-African region. But on this they are constant or commonly mistaken with the pelagic thresher, although they typically do have a color band that wraps underneath their stomachs. That's the easiest way to identify them from the pelagic, as well as other things that I will point out in the pelagic as well. But just in case you guys do need a little bit of help, definitely look for that stomach wrap because I do know you guys use this podcast to go out and identify sharks that you find in the wild. So appreciate it. Thank you. But on this one as well, they're going to have that long tail like a whip to sense prey, same way that all the other thresher sharks do as well. Now, the way that they hunt is that they're going to mostly go after schooling fish first and foremost, like anchovies or herrings. So what they'll do is they will utilize a bait ball. Now, for those of you that do not know, or if I haven't talked about it yet on the podcast, I'm not entirely positive if I've talked about a bait ball yet. I may have mentioned it, but bait balls are typically just schools of fish that are kind of in a panic. So what happens is dolphins utilize this. Uh, a lot of different sharks do. They'll try to get all the school of fish to start swimming in a circle and start to condense. Now, pods of dolphins are very good at doing this. They'll usually either break apart into smaller bait balls, so that way they don't have to manage a large, large school of fish, and they can hunt in different packs there. But for the thresher shark, they're usually solitary, so they're not doing that. But what they're going to do is they're going to get a bait ball formed. Then as that bait ball is swirling, they'll then swim straight at it, and they'll use their tail like a whip. They'll arch their back. It'll go over top of their head, and it will hit a single fish or a couple fish, and whatever it hits will be stunned. Uh, they'll usually float away from the bait ball, and then the thresher is able to get in there and just eat them up quickly. But with this, they are also going to have different rows of teeth depending on the species. So for the common thresher, they have 30 to 50 rows of upper teeth and 25 to 50 rows of lower teeth. Their teeth are also going to all be triangular shaped, but they do have a little bit more of a point to them, so they're a little bit more narrow than the great whites. And I do usually draw back to the great white, as that is the first shark that people tend to think of, and also it tends to be the first shark tooth people think of as well, usually when you're buying one at uh, any sort of souvenir shop, which also I highly do not recommend doing, but I'll get more into that probably at a later date as well. Mostly, or I'll just get into it real quick actually, mostly because you don't know how they got that. It could either be fake, which is fine, just kind of a waste of money, or it could also just be that they killed a shark and took its teeth, and same way that like we get mad at other people for doing shark fin soup, we're taking shark teeth for souvenirs, but that's my little sidebar. But anyway, they have those kind of triangular teeth, a little bit more narrow. But from there, they are like to use that bait ball, it's a lot easier to do it, and also make sure that they can get their food very easily. Now, when it comes to mating, giving birth, all of that, 
they usually give live birth, uh, so these sharks don't lay eggs, and they usually give birth to two to four pups, although in some rare cases, they can have birth, or give birth up to six. So could be a little bit more, a little bit less, but typically it's gonna be in that two to four range, uh, typically a little bit higher, close to like three or four. Now, these sharks are incredibly hard to interact with because they are incredibly timid, and usually avoid humans on site. Um, they also, in previous episodes of Shark Week that I've seen when they were trying to tag threshers, they had to utilize spearfishing uh, tactics. So they'd have to send the diver down in a free dive and they wouldn't have scuba gear or anything like that because the apparatus would be too big and clunky and these are very agile fish. And also utilizing that silence that they can have because having the bubbles come out also would frighten the shark. So you make sure that they weren't going to scare it off before they could do anything. So they really don't interact with humans at all, uh, very, very rarely, I should say. But that is what I have for the common and moving on to the big eye. Now, as it gets from its name, you can probably tell that it is known for having a massive eye. Uh, well, it has two. Uh, so with this, it's got its two massive eyes uh, compared to the other two species. They're usually only going to be about an inch or two, so they're still gonna be pretty big, but not as big as the big eye, which has a 3.9 inch eye. Now they also help to hunt in dim light because they can get more light into that eye. So it's gonna be able to see in darker settings and therefore they tend to hunt when light is dimmer, especially around dusk, which is also partially why sharks are known to hunt at night or when it's darker out and they say you shouldn't get in the ocean at nighttime or in the early morning, just kind of when the light isn't as bright. They also only have 19 to 24 rows of teeth in their upper jaw, and then 20 to 24 on the bottom jaw, uh, rows, I should say. Now, they are also going to be the same shape as the common thresher, that triangular, but more narrow. And they also have larger jaws than the common thresher. So this one can eat larger prey. So they eat squid rather than just herring or the other fish I mentioned. And also, I don't know why I can't remember that. I also did this on the last time I tried to record this, but whatever. But from there, they also will eat uh, lancet fish and small billfish. Now, billfish and lancet fish, for those of you that do not know, because I actually did not know what they were, they kind of look like smaller versions of sailfish or those swordfish that you'll see. So they're very similar to that, more open ocean fish like that. Now, for the big eye, they only give birth to two pups at a time. So they're going to be right around, uh, uh, sorry, they only give birth to uh, two pups at a time rather than six, uh, but they also have heard that they can go a little bit more, but they're pretty consistently at two. And with this, they're also going to be a cold-bodied fish, unlike the common thresher. The common thresher is going to be warm-bodied, but there are some things that it can do as well. Uh, so the common thresher usually is going to have those warm-bodied, like red muscles inside, very neat deer, very close to the core. I don't know why I just lost my train of thought there. Very close to the core so that way it can warm up their core, which will then radiate outwards. For the big eye thresher, they actually have these red muscles towards the outside. So they're still underneath of the skin, but they're going to be closer to the outside. So they'll kind of radiate inwards, which then warms up, I guess, a little bit differently. So they're still a cold body shark technically, but they do have the ability to warm themselves up in certain ways. This species also will have very few interactions with humans as they do tend to live 600 feet below the surface. So they don't come to the surface quite as much as the common thresher does. Hence the common thresher is known for being common as you see it the most. But 
lastly, we do also have the pelagic thresher. Now this is going to be the smallest of the threshers. This one will only measure up to about 10 feet in length. This one also has more elongated pectoral fins than the other two. So these tend to stick out a lot more. People can identify them pretty quickly that way, although this one does look very similar to the common thresher as well, which will come up in a second. But this one does have a record length of 16 feet. Now, this has caused many scientists to dispute this as they usually don't only grow much larger than 12 feet at the most. So the fact that one could be four feet longer than the largest one known to record kind of caused a lot of problems. So a lot of scientists have disputed this, which kind of makes me laugh uh, simply because I can only imagine a bunch of scientists yelling at each other about what species it could have been when in reality, none of them are actually there. Now, this is something that would constantly come up though, as they want to make sure their records are correct. So I definitely understand why it's happening. It just makes me laugh a little bit. But these sharks also tend to have a purplish color rather than the grayish blue color. So it's kind of neat to see in that regard that like some of these sharks get these really, really pretty colors that come out. Um, and on this, they do have a really, really shiny purple that does come out. Kind of looks a little bit iridescent, which is kind of neat. Now, they're also known as the most athletic and the strongest swimmers of all the threshers. So they've been seen to leap out of the water. So that way they've done it multiple times. Now, the researchers weren't quite sure as to why they were doing this. This could have been for a just a bunch of different reasons. Um, so they don't know if it was for hunting, if it was for a display of a mating act, anything like that. There was an individual that did do that uh, about five times though. So very possible that they do it just for fun too. Now, the really neat thing about the pelagic thresher compared to the other ones is that this one can feed on barracuda. Now, barracuda as a fish terrify me. I can talk about sharks. I want to go free diving with sharks. If I see a barracuda... No, that just does not, nothing about me wants to see a barracuda ever. If I go my whole life without seeing one, I'll be okay. But it's just something really neat because they also will eat lightfish and escalars, which are very uh, interesting looking fish. It's very hard to describe them. Um, I definitely recommend looking those up. But with this, when they give birth to pups, they only give birth to two at a time. Very rarely will they only give birth to one, so it's a really interesting situation that they consistently give birth to two, unlike the other ones that fluctuate between two to three or th uh, two to four, somewhere in that range. So they are very consistent in that range. Now, this kind of goes back to going all of the threshers. So for all the threshers, they there's only one known bite uh, that has ever happened with a person, and that's because they would not stop messing with its tail. Uh, so they've only ever bit one person. Uh, that's mostly because of how timid they are and how much they don't interact with humans. And the whole story so far of this entire podcast has been, if you don't really mess with sharks, they tend to not mess with you. Now, of course, there have been a couple times where there have been unprovoked bites, but this, of course, goes back from record-keeping with all sharks. And the fact that I think the hammerheads, I think, had 17. So that's a large number, but also at the same time, 17 since, like, the 1850s. Like, and that's a generous guess. Um, that's kind of insane that only that many have been due to a hammerhead. So kind of looking back at that, the fact that there's only been one bite from a thresher shark that goes, that spans a timeline of over 100 years, 
pretty insane, but pretty much don't mess with a shark. They won't mess with you. Now, of course, I do also want to say that there are all those unprovoked uh, bites that we can talk about, and there are some sharks that are going to be jerks. Uh, the same way that humans can be jerks, too, there was a shark, uh, it was a bull shark, actually, that swam 25 miles up the Delaware River and bit five people, which once I go over the bull sharks, we'll go more into that. But essentially, that's a very rare outlier case that a shark did this. There's going to be very rare cases where a human does something absolutely insane as well. So same way that humans can be jerks, sharks can be too. So just always be careful. No matter what situation you're in, you never know what a shark is going to do. Now, all these sharks are also listed as threatened. Uh, some are more vulnerable than the other when it comes to the three thresher sharks we talked about. And that is because they do have a lot of predators. Now, being one of these smaller sharks, larger sharks do tend to eat them. Uh, also, toothed whales like the orca, they are going to eat them too. They also are really affected by parasites like tapeworms, and humans are a massive threat to the thresher shark too. So th humans like to use them as game fish. This is a really good fish they like to hunt uh, for meat and for their fins, and their tails have a lot of value as well. Also, something that really irritated me is that if you go onto Google and you search up the thresher shark, if you're on a laptop or a computer, if you scroll down past like the initial like information of it, like the size and everything, underneath of it are drop tabs that all tell you how to cook and prepare and what it tastes like. So this is a very common shark to eat. And I was like, what in the world are you doing, Google? Why are you teaching me how to eat this shark? Like, do you not know why I'm here, especially with my search history of all the different sharks? When have I tried to figure out what they taste like? So kind of wild there that they just kind of tell you to fillet it up. It's really good in steak and chips and everything. Oh, my God, I was losing my mind. But there are there's still a lot to learn about these sharks. Uh, so they're one that's because of how timid they are. It's been very hard to get close to them. So there's probably going to be more that comes out in the future as we get more technology that can look into these guys more. So there's a good shot that this will be one of those species that I do have to revisit sometime in the future. So that is, of course, what I have for the thresher shark. But actually, one more thing to quickly add, that this is another one of my favorite species of shark. And I actually didn't realize before today that there were uh, three different species of thresher shark. And actually, a couple years ago, I finally decided I was going to get a tattoo of a shark with how much I love sharks. I figured it'd be the right thing to do. And so I went with a thresher shark and then actually through this research, I was able to figure out that I actually got a tattoo of a pelagic thresher shark, which I did not realize, which I think is pretty awesome. So I kind of went with the lesser known of the three uh, thresher sharks, which I usually try to go a little bit off the beaten path. So I did think that was kind of cool. But of course, if you guys do have any other questions, any follow-up, anything like that, Please let me know. Follow me on the Instagram to ask those questions, and I'll do my best to get back to you on it. But this week, kind of went a little bit different on the safety aspect. Um, I actually decided to go over what to do if you actually are bit by a shark. Now, usually we talk about how to prevent being bit. But, of course, in the off case that some situation occurs where you do get bit, I figured it'd be really good to know what you should do. Now, of course, a lot of information is outdated on the internet, which is also why I'm glad that I looked at it like this because doing my own research, I had to go down a little bit because a lot of it was still talking as if the shark is going to be holding you in its jaws. And it's going to be thrashing you all around and just throwing you and trying to rip you limb from limb. When in reality, it's not going to happen. Like if it happens, there's going to be a couple things that might happen. I'll, I'll talk more about those in a second, but 
I was really glad to find a website called CPR Certified that had really great info because um, I did look up a couple of government websites and they were still telling you to punch the shark and use anything you can to attack it back. And I'm like, that's not going to, that's just going to make it angrier. Like, and it's it's got the upper hand. Like, what you should do mostly if you are for some reason being held by a shark is try to grab above its nose uh, where all the sensors would be because that sends it into a sensor, like sensory overdrive. Uh, and then it caused it to, like, usually open its mouth because it's kind of just going, like, ah, what is happening? So <laughs> kind of doing it like that will be the probably the easiest way to get out of its jaws uh, if it is for some reason holding you like that. But very, very rarely, if ever, has that ever happened. But most bites occur mostly because someone's either messing with the shark or it's out of curiosity. So the bites are also going to be made worse simply by the person moving away, which is going to be known as a secondary injury. So on that, pretty much the best way to avoid that is to not move your arm or leg or anything that is currently being bit. Now, mind you, that is an insane thing to say. <laughs> so hearing that, you're probably thinking, how am I supposed to just not move when something just sunk its teeth into me? A lot easier said than done, I guarantee. Like, anything touches me in the ocean... I still jump out of my skin. So same way, it, it's probably going to happen. So we're going to talk about how to minimize the effects of that because it's usually a chemical reaction anyway. It's not even like you being able to sit there and be like, okay, yeah, I won't move. It, it's usually going to be a chemical thing that your body just involuntarily moves anyway. So yeah, we're going to talk about what to do for that. But there are three main types of bites that can occur. There is the first one, which is called the hit and run, where essentially the shark is trying to figure out what you are. They just kind of bite you, and then they bugger off. They don't really know. They pretty much figured out that you're really sensitive. Uh, they can't really handle you, so they're, they're just going to leave. We then have the bump and bite. Now, that's going to be very similar to the hit and run, where essentially the shark swimming, it hits you it, or bumps into you, and then it's like, oh, what's this, and tries to figure it out, but using its mouth, because that's how it has to figure things out. And with that, it then figures out, oh, once again, I can't handle you. All right, I'm leaving. So they're gone. Now, that's another one where it's quick and they're gone. But then the last one's called a sneak attack. Now, I'm not a big fan of using the term attack, but kind of the best way to describe this. It's essentially where they've been provoked and now they're just here and they're going to try to quickly bite you, maybe repeatedly, and then leave. Although very uncommon, usually even when it's being provoked, it still just kind of does the first like hit and run. It just kind of bites you and then tries to get away. Usually they're not sitting here trying to eat you. They're trying to figure out what you are or they're trying to get you to stop messing with them. So those are the things that usually happen. Now, if you do get bit, try to remain calm. I cannot emphasize the word try and I don't think I've ever emphasized the word try harder in my life because you just got bit. That's a really shocking and painful situation. I'm not going to tell you it's going to feel like sunshine and rainbows. But with that, you got to try to remain calm. It's going to be a really shocking situation, so just try. Now, what you're going to do as well is you're going to want to try to control the bleeding. Most of the sharks you're going to interact with, especially the ones that might bite you, if you're on a beach close to the shore, anything like that, they're going to be smaller. Uh, now, of course, there are videos of larger sharks that do get closer to shore, but for the most part, they're not going to be too, too big. So the bite size that you're dealing with, it's only going to be a couple inches rather than a couple feet. So you should be able to either cover it with your hand, uh, clothing, anything like that. But even if it is a little bit bigger, still try to cover it with anything that way. Now, on this, the only other big shark I can think of that you might suddenly come in contact with 
would probably be the great white over in California or even in Hawaii when you're surfing. Uh, so surfers do come in contact with these larger sharks a bit more commonly. And on this, they may deal with larger bites. But from there, same thing, just try to control the bleeding. Um, try to get out of the water calmly as well. So you don't want to stay in the water just bleeding because as people know, that does tend to send sharks into a bit of a frenzy, causing them to have more aggressive behavior. So you want to try to get out of the water calmly. Now, don't get out quickly because that's going to cause you to still... Uh, bleed more your heart rate's already going to be going so just trying to once again stay calm remember to keep pressure on the wound uh, try to wrap it up with whatever you can calmly out of the water so put pressure on it as soon as possible from there uh, when you're also going to be on the beach you want to try to make sure that you can uh, get the wound above your heart if possible so if it's on your arm raising your arm up uh, as long as you can uh, propping your arm up on something so that way it is above your heart and it's elevated in that way uh, usually positioning it on something that way and then making sure that you're in a comfortable position because being comfortable is also going to help to lower your heart rate so staying in there and the lifeguards of course should be on hand at this point they should be uh, already stepping in to take care of the situation and then also ems once they get there but from here you also want to utilize clothing towels really anything you can anything you brought just kind of wrap that all up now of course if someone has a bandage fantastic but anything really will work that will absorb and also help to clot keep that blood together there because a lot of times you can pretty much help to recover from any illness or anything that comes from it so even if it's like dirty like yeah that stinks that's not going to be the best but it's going to be a lot better than trying to treat death um so blood loss is the most is the main thing you want to be concerned about I wouldn't deny anyone's like t-shirt or anything like that because you've seen them wear it in the water. Um, definitely take anything you can to stop the wound from bleeding any further. Now, because sharks do have a lot of uh, bite power in them as well, they do tend to be able to break bones. So if there is a broken bone, do not try to set the bone yourself. It does not matter what situation you're in, even if you are uh, someone who's gone through med school, anything like that. Don't try to reset the bone yourself on the beach. Uh, even if a doctor is there, they're probably not going to try to do it themselves. Most thing you want to do is try to kind of pad that, put it in a position like the thing that I was always taught when I was a lifeguard was simply get the person comfortable. If they're comfortable holding it here, see if you can like, uh, I say here as if you guys can see me, if you're, if you're comfortable holding like their arm against their chest, then just kind of get something to wrap their arm there so they can like relax their arm. It's not going to fall down. Um, but just kind of do anything like that where you can immobilize it but to stop it from getting more hurt, but also not putting it in a position where it's gonna hurt a lot more. So never try to stretch it out. If they're clutching it to their body, just simply take something and tie their arm or whatever it is. Like if their leg's really comfortable being like tucked against the other leg, just tie, tie the legs together at that point. Like anything like that to try to just keep whatever it is from not moving anymore. So that way they don't have to keep worrying about like flexing that muscle to hold it there or like using any other energy to do that. So trying to stop that. But also another thing to emphasize is that most of the incidents where you hear someone has died is because they were a person who enjoyed swimming, surfing, anything like that by themselves early in the morning when usually sharks are like still using the advantage of dim light to hunt or anything like that. And they're pretty much doing it by themselves away from everyone. So you still, once again, do not want to ever be by yourself in the ocean. Now, even if you are someone that just wants to go to the beach by yourself, you don't want to spend, like, don't want to go with friends, or you just don't want anyone to come with you, that's like your nice little quiet place, 
You can still wade in the water a little bit, but make sure that you still go when people would be there. And if you do have a private beach somehow, making sure that people know where you are, someone's going to be nearby, because if you're trying to handle all this by yourself, it's going to be incredibly hard. And it's going to be so much easier if you can have someone else who can just call 911 for you or can help you by applying pressure or anything like that. Just so that way, it's not you trying to get out of the water, control your bleeding, call 911, like everything like that. It's just a very difficult situation to go through alone. So having anyone there to help would be insanely helpful. So massively helpful, I could say as well. But that's what I do have for the safety portion of this week. Um... Once again, just I can't imagine anyone will try to set the bone on themselves. It really stressed not to try to set the bone there. So that is something I do want to emphasize as well. Don't set the bone yourself. But once again, if you guys have any questions, anything you want me to go over, please let me know once again. Now, of course, we are going to go on to the shark news. I do once again have two stories. Now, they come from very different sides. I finally did get a story from Hawaii. So this one, the title was that a shark was seen swimming among surfers in, I'm very sorry if I say this island name or this town name, city name incorrectly, but Oahu, I've never been to Hawaii, clearly. But uh, just so you guys know, there was a drone footage of a six to eight foot shark that was spotted swimming under surfers in Hawaii. And I say surfers, it was going past one surfer. Uh, now, there were no uh, reported bites uh, or further interactions with the shark. Uh, they did not close the beaches, and they did put up warning signs that the shark was in the area. Now, I personally love Hawaii when it comes to sharks. Uh, they are the only state that has banned shark fishing completely, so anything that will lead to a shark being caught on a hook is findable, and also you could serve jail time. Now, also, as I mentioned in another episode, they do highly respect certain sharks, and see a lot of them uh, as not man-eaters, which is solid. I, I swear I'm going to make Hawaiians my best friend, hopefully, at one day, because they just sound so cool when it comes to pretty much everything, but also when it comes to sharks. So with this, uh, in the video watching, you just kind of see that there's surfers, like, hanging out, chilling on the waves, and then as, like, the drone starts following one, he kind of starts pointing behind, and you can kind of see the figure, but not a whole lot. Another surfer just kind of gets up on his board casually as the wave's coming in, uh, and he literally goes right over top of the dorsal fin, and the shark's just casually, slowly swimming out to the ocean. Now, it never came back, it never bit anyone. It seems like it was a really cool interaction for a lot of the surfers, but also, like, probably a really scary one, because, as you know, there's been plenty of times where surfers have been injured because of sharks, so probably really cool, probably really scary, but I definitely think that Hawaii handled this fantastically, where they let people know, hey, there's a shark in the area, so be safe, like, don't swim a million miles out for sure, it's not going to be very smart, uh, but also didn't really try to cause a whole lot of fear, they weren't like, oh no, run, go home, because it, it didn't do anything, it wasn't in an aggressive mood, it wasn't hunting, it was just hanging out, and it's the area that it lives in, so... I really do like the the way that they interact with sharks there, the way that they all just kind of coexist. It's fantastic. So that is the first story that I have. Not too exciting. That one actually came out in to, or came out uh, yesterday. Uh, so this one though, this one did come out today. Uh, this is why did a shark wash up dead in New Brunswick? Uh, this is from, comes from Canada CBC News. And it was 11-foot great white shark washed ashore in Port Spain or Point Spain Beach. Now it did say it was near a, a park. I could not pronounce the name of that park to save my life. So if you do find that story, 
you can try to pronounce it yourself. But there was a lot of blood pooling from the shark, which raised a lot of questions and caused a lot of action to be taken, uh, most specifically calling the Marine Animal Response Society, or MARS for short. Now, researchers did want to note that only three great whites had washed ashore in the 23 years that they had been active. So they were really kind of surprised to hear that this is happened because usually they're in the area they know that these sharks are here but typically they don't wash ashore but they did do a necropsy that's i think how you say that uh and it actually took three hours because the shark was 869 pounds or 394 kilograms so it was a pretty large shark now it wasn't the largest a great white can get uh it was only 11 feet so it was actually pretty juvenile but that's still incredibly heavy now white sharks are actually protected in canada by the species protection act uh, so if it was a man-made incident or anything like that that caused the shark to die, this would cause further investigation. And also if it was missing anything like teeth or if any fins or anything like that had been taken even post-mortem, then that would also cause more fines, uh, so that would be teeth, fins, its wallet, anything like that. I mean, you can't steal a shark's wallet that's still stealing, but that it would have to cause a lot of investigation. Now, as they were doing the necropsy, they did also mention that blood pooling is very common, especially after an animal has just died. Uh, not quite sure why, it's just what happens. But the internal organs looked incredibly healthy as they were doing it, and also it had a full stomach at the time, so it had recently just eaten. But because of all the healthy signs, they couldn't really actually determine what has caused the shark to die or what killed it. But they did have a couple theories, the most popular one being that there are seals in the area, a very popular food source for the white shark, and it was probably just most likely hunting, uh, was going after one, got a little too close to shore, and then didn't realize how shallow it was, and accidentally beached itself, and then suffocated. So thankfully, they don't think this was any foul play, they couldn't find any signs of that, so unfortunately, I think it was just an accident that ended up, the shark died. Now, the thing that they did want to mention is that the white shark population up in New Brunswick is actually fairly large. They're not sure exactly how many numbers, but more research will do that. So, of course, if you are in Canada uh, swimming in the ocean at any point, just do realize that sharks are pretty much in every ocean around the world. So it is something to be vigilant about, not concerned about, but also just make sure that you are paying attention, uh, you know your surroundings, and just realizing that no matter what body of water you're in, unless you're quite literally in a swimming pool, there's a really good shot that there could be a shark nearby and just treating it as such. Uh, so don't be afraid of the ocean, but also don't do anything dumb. Like you wouldn't slather yourself in barbecue sauce and then go lay in the middle of this African savanna. So don't go slather yourself in fish oil <laughs> or like swim around a bunch of fishing hooks. And then expect nothing bad to happen. So just be careful, be smart. You guys got this. I believe in you. But also, I did want to thank you all for the amazing support once again. I cannot believe that I actually got the email that I talked about earlier this morning. Uh, give us a review, a rating. Uh, tell your friends about us. Follow us on Instagram at Deep Dives with Sharks. I'm gonna mention that about a million and a half times. And also, just come have your friends learn about a shark or two. I feel like it's a pretty great time. And I do appreciate all being here. So thank you for listening. Have a great week, and I will see you in the next one.